Hello, everybody, and welcome to Minute 86 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-kay our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is our maestro, David Brook from Blueprint Hello. Review. Welcome welcome back, David. Sorry, I jumped in there too early. Yeah, no, that's no, okay. good to be back. Yeah, you always have to have a little bit of intro music, so it's fine. You know, it's just the, the, <laughs> the intro music plays over, you know, the what what we're saying. So that that's okay, also. You know, that works. <laughs> so I once again want to thank you no, for for doing the music. You know, it's uh, been very helpful these past few seasons, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll be able to still continue collaborating in the future and find find fun nice. things to 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 do. I I like it. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, everyone listening also likes it. You know, and that. You know, the, the, this this season was a very interesting choice, but I I like it. You know the <laughs> yeah, it's an odd one because it's only really in the film, like in the it's one like little scene, isn't it? But it's uh, that's right. Yeah, but it's it, yeah, it gives me an excuse to play some lounge jazz. <laughs> Can't there you go. Listening stuff. That's right, and not so, just yeah, play it. You film... get to sing it also. <laughs> oh yeah, any film with a bit of that in, I'll I'll be there. <laughs> All right, that, that's good. I'm 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 glad to hear that. <laughs> That works. All right. So minute 86 begins with uh, Barnes contacting Lorenzo and ends with Grant giving a cryptic order. Okay. So actually, you know, before we get into things, why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background of this movie? Oh, my background of this movie. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a film I watched. I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it, it, it will have been a long time. It'll be back in the, probably the mid mid 90s um, I, I was too young to watch it when it first came out of the cinema because mm-hmm. uh, um, it, it it was an 18 over here or 15 probably i think it's an 18 um so yeah well, i was definitely too young when it came out um but yeah caught it on video when i was when i was of age and uh yeah i love it i mean i i, I love the whole i keep calling it a trilogy but there's five now i keep forgetting <laughs> no not really um, not really we'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll, we'll get there <laughs> We, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still on the fence as to whether, you know, how do we want to refer to this? I'm, I'm still referring to it as a trilogy with one good movie after it and one terrible movie. But I have a few seasons yep. to worry about before I get to Die Hard, uh, to uh, the fifth one. You know, so I'm not really concerned at this point. You know, we're, we're still what two years away, two and a half years away, for me I to actually hey, make I... a stick, make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a feeling, to be honest, I wonder, I wonder if, although I, I don't think I saw it first, but I think I kind of watched all, all the Die Hard films probably around the time the third one came out, maybe. I might be making this up. Um, okay, well, Die Hard with Avengers came uh, out in 95. How, how old were you in 95? Oh, 13. So I probably still wouldn't have seen it at the cinema, but I probably would have rented that out in probably 96 or 97 okay. um, on video. I think it's probably around then I probably did all three and um, I'm a fan of all three films. Uh, I, I enjoy them a lot. Um, I, I've said before on this podcast and others that I'm, I do have a real soft spot for action movies. Um, although if you go on my website, I review all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff, but they're mostly foreign action, action movies action movies. kind of my go-to. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of martial arts movies, they're my definite go-to, but, um, but before I got into Kung Fu films, I was more, I was, I was really into my just kind of, uh, 80s and 90s action movies, my uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and uh, the Die Hard movies and and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, the first one is is and will always be my favourite, I think. Uh, but as I say, the sequels I think really hold up. Um, and it, I haven't seen it for a long time until um, 
I was prepping for the podcast really last and I must admit I've left it all a bit last minute so uh, it was uh no it wasn't last night sorry the night before was my rewatch and that's the first two days is last minute that's pretty good well, no, yeah. <laughs> no I'm but saying yeah, if that uh, I, for, trust me that's not last minute <laughs> yeah, true <laughs> but I'm uh yeah and and it really it really held up it's uh, as I say the first time I've seen it in I don't know how long, 12 years, maybe something like that. It's been ages and um, possibly longer, uh, but it really held up. I enjoyed it a, a, a great deal. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's my kind of movie. I think it's a good, well-paced. It's got, uh, the story keeps you long, even though it's in essence is very much a rehash of the first film. It kind of brings in a lot of the same kind of beats and things uh but it, it really holds your attention i think there's a nice there's quite a few and we'll probably talk about this in in one of one of the minutes um there's some nice little twists and turns in there just to keep you watching a little bit of mystery here and there and um and that's what you need just for a good time at the movies really uh decent characters uh a decent plot and some explosions <laughs> that's all i need <laughs> so it's good and and that's what you get here you know, it's. I, yeah. I would say this is a little more than decent. You know, decent character and decent. Oh part. yeah, yeah. So I mean, this. this so if, if that's your bar, so this is above the bar. <laughs> and oh, yeah, in no, my opinion, no, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I think I was talking more about the story and things, but yeah, it's um no, definitely more than decent. I think uh, I reviewed it on Letterbox after watching it the other night, and uh, yeah, I gave it a four point five. Um, I was tempted to maybe even go higher. So no, I do rate it very highly. I think it's. I think it's okay. Cool. And and I think deservingly so. You know, I'm I'm a little biased here. But uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we, we ended things on Friday with John and Lorenzo, you know, finally getting to their final stop, and uh, you know, assuming that if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be this church. And you know, they're they're eyeing this guy who's who happens to be walking, uh, you know, around. Maybe he's out for a walk. Maybe he's possibly, you know, uh, a century. No, no one really knows. And, you know, they, they left us where we're not really sure exactly what's going on. Then, you know, John, John's beeper goes off and then he gets tackled by, by, uh, uh, by Baker. So that sort of gives it away who Baker, what Baker really is. I mean, we obviously knew who it was because we've seen him earlier in this movie, but still. So the, this, this minute begins with Lorenzo, uh, with Barnes still trying to get in touch with Lorenzo and he goes, Lorenzo, it's Barnes. And then we, we, first we only hear the voice, Lorenzo's voice where he goes, where the hell did you go? Where's McLean? And he goes, he's with me. We're at the Highland Lake community church on the West side of the airport. You're where? God damn it. You crazy idiot. Why didn't? And then Barnes goes, this must be their base of operations. Shut up. And get your ass over here. Move it. <laughs> so, I mean, I like the conversation between the two of them. But my first question is, is nobody noticed that McLean and Barnes were missing? You know, they're here. They're in this <laughs> midst of trying, the, the midst of trying to deal with stuff. Okay. They, let's assume they've been gone for a half hour. You know, you'd think that they would be missing them. Yeah. Although I guess it's pretty much carnage there at the minute. Everyone's trying to figure out what to do. So, I don't know. Maybe not. Um yeah, right. who, who knows? Right, and also, I mean, I think part of the problem is is that we look at it from the, today's perspective that everyone has a cell phone, but back then they didn't. So, like, you know, maybe if Lorenzo didn't see Barnes or John, he'd be like, okay, maybe they went to go go to the bathroom or something like that. You know, like you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, I'm gonna call them on their cell phone to see where they are. 
Yeah, let's let's ping them to see where they are. It just doesn't doesn't really work that way. Mm. So uh, maybe maybe it's our you know the the, the skewed view from uh, you know 33 years in the future, where things mm. things are slightly different than they were back then. Mm. I don't know. And you know, so he mentions that they're at the Highland Lake Community Church. Okay, now we, we've we've been here before. We we saw you know they when the, when when the bad guys took it over and all that stuff. But I decided to do a little bit of, of of research to try and figure out you know where what this place is where what's the real place that they're filming it in. Okay, this is actually what, what's what's funny is it really is called the Highland Lake Church and it, mm-hmm. it's located in Highland Lake, Colorado, and it's it's listed as one in the, on the National Registry of Historic Places and it celebrated two years ago 125 years since it was uh, created. It's like uh, near, or since it was built, it's near the uh, town of Mead in Colorado. Maybe friend of the show, Todd Levenow knows where that is. I, I don't know. You know, Todd, Todd, if you're listening and, and you know how far Mead is from, from where you are, it would be interesting. Mead, Mead or Highland Lake, either way. You know, and I found some really interesting things that, you know, it was built in 1896 and, you know, people were using it for, for 10 years without a problems. And then they uh, founded the town of Mead, which was nearby, and people started moving away to Mead from Highland Lake, and therefore people, less people, you know, were were in the community to go to the church church in uh, Highland Lake, and they were going to the churches that were being built in Mead. And in 1917, they decided that they didn't have enough uh, members in order to be able to pay their pastor. And to upkeep the building, I guess. I mean, the the guy who we saw, you know, at the beginning of this movie, looks like he's been there, you know, since nineteen oh nineteen seventeen. Also, you know, he <laughs> he he looked like he was he was there very many uh, many years. Mm. And they actually closed it down in uh, nineteen twenty one, and they 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 sold the place. You know, then they were trying to figure out what they were going to do about it and stuff like that. So what they ended up doing was is that they 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 actually bought it for one dollar. And once they wow. did that, they they didn't they couldn't destroy it. You know, because it was, there was it was owned by somebody even if they weren't uh, you know dealing with it. And they actually decided to you know rebuild it almost a hundred years later. So in uh, two thousand eight, it was. Uh, completed and they now actually have events there so i mean obviously we know that this, when this movie was filmed in in uh, 1989 so the place was pretty much abandoned maybe they were just using it more you know for uh movies and stuff like that but the idea is is that you know they, they now rent it out you can uh you know rent it out for 750 dollars for an event which allows you to use the church and any external facilities that may they may have and they're for that 750 dollars they're willing to give you three days you know, the day before the event, the day of the event, and the day after, uh, so that you can, like, uh, set up and clean up and all that stuff. So the, que- the question is, has anyone had a diehard tomb night there, surely? That, you see, that, that that's the big question. I was trying to find that out, and I couldn't figure it out. You know, yeah. they, they do have parking there for up to 30 vehicles, and you can get 100 people inside. So, they, you know, maybe Stuart should have brought more uh, more men with him. <laughs> um, they 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 do funerals there also, and they, you know they they give you a discount for that. It only costs you three hundred dollars if you want to do a funeral there. <laughs> and they they give you a, a handicapped porta potty, and the ability to run an electrical cord <laughs> to to the to the building next door in order to get electricity if you want to run uh, small appliances or a microphone or things like that. 
I even have the, the name of the person you can contact if you want to do an event there. You know, I, I was I was debating whether to call them up and say, I want to do a diehard event. Is that possible? You know, um, now in, in the uh, in, in this, this website that I found that was talking about the history of the church, it does mention Die Hard 2 was filmed here. You know, it says the church was used briefly in 1989 for the filming of the movie Die Hard 2. Producers paid for a new roof and built a fake entranceway with front doors and matching facade onto the rear of the building. So, all right. Was the, um, was the, I, I, I didn't pay enough attention to it, but is the, are the interiors, are they studio or could they have been at the church too? I don't know if my, I kind of feel like they'd probably be the studio. Yeah, I would think that there'd be a studio, especially since they're breaking windows and stuff like that. I don't think they really want to oh, break yeah, the windows of the store. Yeah, but they, you know, they just use it for the for the outdoor shots, I guess. But some of the yeah, outdoor yeah. shots here, you know, we're we're gonna see it this week. They have some some action outdoor shots that oh, are yeah. in front of there. It sounds like it was a nightmare as well. I was watching some of the making of, they had a lot of trouble because it was because of the snow. You probably talked about this already yes. another episode. What's but... what snow? But yeah, yeah, there's no snow, so it's all fake, and they had loads of mats and everything. It was just crazy. Yeah, it sounds like yes. chaos. <laughs> completely, completely chaotic. But it was, but it was still really cold. <laughs> yes, but yeah, that's true. So it's funny that he says that that we're, we're on the where, when he when Barnes tells Lorenzo where they are, he goes, "We're at the Highland Lake Community Church Church on the west side of the airport." Like, who cares what side of the airport it is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, is maybe it, maybe <laughs> and I was gonna say maybe there's one on the east side also. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, as the, the, the shot goes back and we see Lorenzo as he's yelling into the phone, you know, when he calls him, uh, you crazy idiot. And we see him like scribbling on a note, notepad. And if you, you look on the, uh, the the desk or the table that he's at, there's like a fake plastic apple there. Which, which I couldn't really. Oh yeah, I thought it was a tomato for a minute. Yeah, it is a no, that's it is an apple that that you can it, and it's much brighter red than most apples would be. <laughs> but I can I can see how you can think that's a tomato. Yeah, that's true. Now I it's when I paused it and he couldn't see the bottom. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. No, it's but definitely. You see, did you try pausing to see what uh, what Lorenzo writes on the pad? Oh no. So I did, and there is no way that he is writing anything that Barnes told him. It's like a number. No, it doesn't even look like a number. It's just, you know, scribbles. But there's no way that he wrote there the word Highland, Lake, Community Church, West Side of the Airport, anything. It's just, if you, if you like, pause it at, the, at 11 seconds, <laughs> oh, yeah, I can pause you can now, see yeah. part of it. And he's just, you know, they're, they're long words, but they're not the same words. Shorthand, maybe? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But it, He's not a journalist. Yeah, it's just very weird, you know, what he's writing. And, you know, then I, I think it's pretty rude of, of what... Uh, you know, Grant does here. Grant just takes the pad from him, you know, and mm. and it's actually yeah, and like rips the I page off this, of it. <laughs> yeah, this slightly hints as to what happens next, maybe as well, because he kind of takes it, not even really asking what it is. I mean, he's not listening to the phone call. That's right. So that kind of gives a bit of a hint towards the fact that he knows where he's going, and he's all it's all um it's all a sham sort of thing. Correct. That's true. And also, like he, like you said, he doesn't read it, and then he says, "We know where they are," you know. So maybe mm. he he has telepathy, you know. He knows where, yeah. you know. First of all, how does he know that he should be taking the pad? How does he know, you know, yeah. like he's not in the shot up until this point, you know. We don't see that he's nearby, and Lorenzo says, "Barnes, where are you?" And where's McLean? You know, he he doesn't hear Barnes say back, "McLean's with me," 
you know, so no. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a little strange the the way that 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 works out there, mm. you know. And then, uh, you know, as Grant t- takes the page, he then says, "Code Red, sit rep. We got positive idea on Stewart's location. Let's move." So first of all, you know, he's just throwing out a whole bunch of different. Uh, you know, military uh, terms here, which which mean very little sense in the context here. All right. But first of all, let, let's go with the fact that he says we have positive idea of, of on Stewart's location. Now, no one says anything about that. <laughs> Where does he get that? Where's the positive idea? We have maybe suspected ID. You know, we, we might think that this is where they are. I don't know. But but it's not, you know, th- there's no way that he's that he knows for sure at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, and and he's asking for a sit sit rep. When you say sit rep, it's like okay, situation report. So, you know, yeah. it's something that you're usually asking someone to give you a report. It's not, you know, it doesn't doesn't make any sense in this concept context. And then the last thing I want to go on uh, talk about, which is actually the first thing he says, he says code red. Okay, now do you know what code red means? Not really, like a uh, <laughs> nuclear bomb or something. I don't know. Okay, so so I mean, I looked this up, and there's uh, we'll we'll get to the military terminology of code red at the end, but I just want to say, so a code red is possibly a hospital emergency code and things like that, right? Hmm. But depending on which hospital you are and what country you are, you know, the the whole idea is is that they they uh, they don't have they didn't have uniform codes at least at this point. In 2003, the state of Maryland began to mandate that hospitals have to have uniform codes because you know the you use different colors for different things they can mean so many different things so they actually created a whole list of codes that are now used the over the entire US for for like different types of you know color codes okay so i'll i'll just go through some of them and see if you if you've heard of any of them okay do you know what an amber alert is or a code atom okay <laughs> no. so that's a child abduction that's a child abduction alert all right, code black means it's a bomb threat. Code blue mm. is usually uh, someone has problems with uh, the heart or respiratory uh, problems. You know, usually you'll hear that in you know, movies and TV shows that are dealing with someone having yeah, a heart attack yeah, stuff, in yeah. the airport and they go code blue in room 215 or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay, code brown is used to indicate severe weather, which I don't know, that's very strange. It's like, <laughs> weather is code brown. I don't know. That's going again. Code clear means that the emergency is done. Code gray is a is someone who is uh, a, there's a com- combat combat combative person that's there. Someone's being abusive to patients, family, visitors, staff, or physicians. Um, if if they they have a weapon, then they call that a code silver. Hyo Silver, I don't know. He's got silver bullets. Um, code Green means emergency activation. Code Orange, hazardous spills. Code Pink, infant abduction or pediatric emergency. All right. Uh, code White is a neonatal emergency. Uh, an aggressive person in the hospital, some, in some hospitals, an aggressive person is called a Code Violet. And then we have Code Red. What is Code Red? What do you think it would be? Uh, I don't know, life-threatening situation. Oh, I guess almost this could. Code red means a fire. <laughs> fire. Oh. 
There, there was actually a TV show in the early 1980s which called Code Red with, I think, Lorne Green and Adam Rich from uh, Eight is Enough, you know, who just passed away earlier this year. And, uh, right, so, so and a Code Red could also mean that there's uh, massive hemorrhaging of a woman uh, in, in the delivery room. So, okay, I mean, it, it makes sense. But, again, none of those make any sense. Nothing to do with terrorist for what, locations. <laughs> exactly, for what Grant is saying here. Okay, now, have you ever heard, and I'm assuming the answer is no, have you ever heard of the name David Vernon Cox? No. Have you, have you ever heard the term Code Red in a military situation, possibly in a movie or play? I think I've probably heard Code Red in movies before, yeah. No, the, well, no, in a military movie where someone is performing a Code Red. Uh, probably. Well, I don't know if they ha I'm sure I've heard them say Code Red before, but who knows? Okay, well, <laughs> have, are you familiar with Aaron Sorkin plays or movies? Uh, yeah. A Few Good Men. Uh, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> I haven't seen it for a while, but. Yeah. Okay, so a Code Red is basically, you know, when, when you actually, uh, you know, when, when, when it's a disciplinary action. You know, when, you know, that's what they basically did. And, you know, when they stuffed the rag down, uh, down his throat, they were performing a code oh, red yeah, yeah. stuff like that. So David Vernon Cox was a Marine who uh, Aaron Sorkin actually based his play, A Few Good Men, on what happened to David Vernon Cox. He was was in the, the Marines and he was stationed in uh, Guantanamo Bay. And... While he was uh, there, right, he he was uh, he was assigned to uh, guard the perimeter uh, that was separating the base from the country of Cuba, and he said that he belonged to an unofficial group of Marines known as the Ten. Okay, who who basically were people that were were doing all of these exercises, like running exercises with full gear and 110 uh, degree heat, and that to hang from 60 foot towers. And, you know, for things like that. So while he was there, the, um, there was a private named William Alvarado who wrote letters to his congressman complaining of the poor conditions and illegal activities on the base. And he even claimed that, that there were Marines that were firing shots over the fence line into Cuba. And Alvarado requested a transfer off the base. Okay, the, the information eventually reached the commanding officer, Colonel Samuel Adams, who decided that because of the violation of the chain of command, I mean, this, I'm, I'm amazed when I'm, when I'm reading this, how close it is to the story of a few good men. I mean, you said it's been a while since you've seen it, so I don't know how, how much you remember about it, but it's just unbelievable. I always thought it was completely made up. I didn't realize how close to the truth it really was. Okay. No, yeah. So apparently the group known as the 10 were encouraged to punish Alvarado for what was uh, viewed as dishonorable conduct. They they performed a code red on him, and that's basically hazing by the Marines. And obviously, it is also again against Marine Corps policy to do so. What they they did was is they uh, they restrained him at night. They binded him with tape and stuffed a pillowcase in his mouth, and he was blindfolded. And you know he was assaulted while being dragged out of the room. They uh, the plan was to shave his head. And something went wrong, and he began choking, and his lungs, lungs filled with fluid, and he spat up blood and began turning purple as he then lost consciousness. They, they stopped it, and they, they called for help. And then he was transferred to a hospital in Miami, 
where he actually went on to make a full recovery, unlike in the movie where or in the play where he died. A group of ten admitted that they they did it, and they were all arrested for what they you know for for what they did. So basically, they were they were given the option of a plea bar- bargain, uh, which would uh, dishonorably just discharge them. Seven of the ten accepted the plea, including uh, the, pl- the platoon leader. Um, and he was the platoon leader was the only one who was actually able to get an honorable discharge for that. All the others were uh, were yes. and so Aaron Sorkin's sister Deborah Sorkin was the judge advocate that in the JAG Corp mm. that was sent to defend them. So she actually told her brother about this this whole story, and he used it, you know, for the for the play. So Cox oh, wow. Cox and two other Marines uh, decided to stand trial. And they claimed that they didn't do anything wrong because they were following orders of their their commander and that they did not have any they were not attempting in any way to to murder him or anything like that. He eventually was court martialed and just for a few days and they were they were cleared of murder and conspiracy charges. And and then uh you know he, he ended up uh, spending spending thirty-eight days in the brig. And you know it was time served, and he was then discharged. Uh, he was honorably discharged from the Marines in uh, 1989. So again, it's just really cool how close the real story is. I mean, the the the, the story in the movie is obviously a little more interesting because he ends up dying and stuff like that. I'm very glad that in yeah. real life that didn't happen. You know, so you know, just uh, very interesting uh, the way they did. Actually, the the guys who were part of the this assault actually sued uh, uh, Castle Rock Entertainment for taking their idea, mm. you know, for like st- basically stealing the, you know, their their life stories without uh, getting any real uh, any money for doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, it kind of made them look good by making it even worse that he dies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, so uh, it's just very interesting the the, the whole story and stuff like that. Because, uh, I mean, the, the story keeps going on. I'm not even going to go into it, where the, this guy, Cox, actually ended up disappearing, and he was found murdered later on. And oh. uh, from what I understand, it's a, it was a, uh, you know, it's an unsolved case. They don't know who who murdered him. So it, it is possible that maybe, you know, Alvarez uh, wanted to uh, get some revenge or something like that. You know, that nobody really knows how wow. what to what it was related. So, yeah, crazy. Yeah, and again, this is this happened 25 years ago, and they still don't know uh, who did it. So, oh God, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, they even they even reopened the case and were never able, able to figure it out. So it is an unsolved mystery of what happened to it. So wow. yeah, so again, I have absolutely no idea what uh, what. Grant is referring to her when he says it's a code red because I don't think they're going to go beat up anyone or anything like that. I don't think that's that's the plan. Maybe. Well, maybe it's maybe it's a further clue to their kind of dodgy uh, dodgy outfit. Maybe that's their own code for let's go and do what we're supposed to do and uh, right. that's true. <laughs> and get the bad guys off. Right. No, it make, it makes you wonder. Like, uh, I mean, again, we're I'm assuming that most people who are listening to this have have seen the movie, so. You know, the the question is, what is the the real plan with Grant? 
You know, like how did they think that the whole thing was going to play out? Because it's not Grant that that eventually found them at the community church. It's John. You know, they. You know, so were they expecting to 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 find the the, the church? You know what? You know had what what was the original plan of when they were gonna meet up and you know deal with these type of things? So you're right. Yeah. Maybe code red means all right. Code red, we're moving out. We're 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 gonna go move along with with the plan. I don't know. Just unless they were only gonna go unless they were there just in case that happened. And if if nobody found the church, they'd just just carry on as though um they're not uh, they're just carry on as normal. I don't know. <laughs> right. It is odd that there's another thing, I guess we might come to it later, but um, I found as well in terms of the the um, kind of the bad guy's plan is that um, uh, the Franco Nero character, the general, he, he doesn't seem to have a clue what's going on. Right, like, no, we'll, we'll get there. Of, we'll get there. Of, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about yeah, that. Okay. That's, uh, that's later this week. We, we have uh, actually it's later today. Sort of. Well, it's, yeah. it comes up today and again tomorrow. He, just, he shows up briefly. He shows up briefly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. And then, uh, you know, one of the Marines screams, yo. Another one says, yes, sir. <laughs> Which is just very interesting the way they do that. And then, uh, you know, the, the the shot changes and we're back to the fight with John and Baker. And Baker then slams John into the garage wall. And there are like all these garbage cans that, that, that fall down. And then, uh, you know, Baker then, uh, you know, starts to get the, the upper hand. And then we, we then as they're fighting the shot changes, we're back in the church itself. And we, we get a quick shot of Burke. Do you recognize who plays Burke? Burke is Burke the who is Burke the general? No, 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 no. Burke is Burke is just one of the, the bad guys. Oh uh, Burke is the one who is no, who is sure. leaning over and and uh Oh I've just looked it up there. Wow, John Lugu- I didn't realize that's it. right. John Leguziano. He's he's bandaging up uh, or tending Oh, yeah, Tending to uh, Esperanza's, uh, you know, wound, which is really funny because it looks like there's like a bandage and then like a, a piece of tape, you know, on his arm. Not even maybe it's medical yeah. tape or something like that, but but still, you know. Yeah, there's well, there's loads of there's loads of familiar faces hiding in this. Oh, place for, sure. About, for sure. Like, yeah, Robert Patrick and um, uh, Cole Meany and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It's, uh, That's right. Yeah, it's crazy. A great cast. Oh, for sure. For sure, I've I've picked up on a whole bunch of others that that most people wouldn't even know anywhere from from other things. Well, I, you know, I, I forgot that I forgot that Franco Nero was in it as well. I think well, when I, when I watched it when I was a kid, I probably didn't know who he was mm, to be honest. Okay, uh, but yeah, I did. I, did, I, I didn't realize it was in right. it either. And then uh, you know we have Stuart say our escape plan will be ready. Our escape plane will be ready within thirty minutes, General. Now, how does he even know that? I mean, like we haven't mentioned anything lately about the cargo plane ever since, you know, they got Esperanza. They did say a plane will be landing in, in 58 minutes, you know, and, and we want this stuff, but they never really gave us a time frame as to when this plane will be ready and stuff like that. So it's very strange the way he says it. You know, then then uh, we hear all these, like, background noises, which are maybe, like, planes talking, uh, the chatter, you know, over the... Uh, the you know the the different uh, equipment that they have there or, anything, or something like that, and then uh, as Esperanza takes a, a cup of coffee that he's being offered, he goes, "If there are no more surprises," 
So, I mean, I'll, I'll touch a little bit on what you just said earlier, uh, like a few minutes ago. I, it goes back to what we were talking about in, in the original Die Hard. There are certain things that, that the main bad guy knows that nobody else knows. You know, he's keeping certain things, you know, secret. So we can assume from this that Esperanza doesn't know that there are another 12 guys that are part of their group. It's weird, though, because you would have thought that Esperanza's really his, his Stuart's superior. You kind of feel like Stuart would tell him. He's not his superior. Or, or he's not his superior. He's, he's, he's the guy paying them to, to, to you know, to, for the escape. Oh, okay, just like a mercenary. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think, True. you know, that... Uh, and then the the shot changes, and we get a shot of uh, five police cars and a trans uh, like a transport truck that are that are like rushing towards the the scene. And then we're we're inside one of the trucks, and you can count nine soldiers that can be seen in there, plus Grant, and then plus Telford. Telford is the the radio guy, who I've mentioned this a few times already. But uh, you you do you know that he's married to Rebecca uh, Rebecca De Mornay? No. no. <laughs> wow. Lucky man. Apparently, yes. And and then Grant says something very strange. He goes, "Gentlemen, we have a situation here." And you know, as he says that, you see all of his men start putting clips into their guns that have blue tape on them. Now, it's mm. very strange. If you were to look at the beginning of this minute when they were in the room with Lorenzo, they all have uh, magazines in their M16s, but those magazines don't have any colors on them. You know, uh, no blue, no red, no nothing. I mean, it's just they're they're blank. Mm. So I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. So they they are they all have clips in their guns. They get into the truck. They all take their clips out, okay. and then they're waiting to get the order from Grant to put the blue clips in. <laughs> It's just something doesn't doesn't make sense there. You know, maybe it's dangerous to have them on in the car at first. <laughs> uh, I, again, I, I I'm familiar with with weapons. I'm assuming that you were probably not. Um, you know, a a magazine in an M16 is very safe as long as you haven't you know put a bullet in the chamber. You know, and even then, if you put in a bullet in the chamber, you still have you, know, you can put it on the safety, but. My assumption is, is they're just walking around without bullets in the chamber. But again, <laughs> it's just very strange that you would take them out when you're going into a truck, if you're on your way to an assault. Mm, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And that that's all I have for this minute. Do you have anything else for this minute before we get into the, the script? Um, where are my notes? Uh, I lost my notes. The, do, 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 do. Uh, I kind of briefly mentioned some of the things. I think um, I think what this minute shows, because it jumps around between a lot of characters, is something I mentioned earlier about how I love the cast of the film. And uh, it reminds me of one of the things that I, I was kind of raving about when I talked about Die Hard 1 is I do like the fact, and Die Hard 2 does this, does this as well, is they kind of flesh, maybe less so, like in Die Hard 1, pretty much all of the goons had had their own kind of tiny little story arcs and things and um, there's less of that here but what this still has is a lot of kind of side characters that are given time to 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 shine in a way like they give they're given a, some quirks they're given some good lines 
there's a, the, and and there's quite a few of them show up in this one minute, which is nice. Um, I, although I guess these are less, these are pr probably bigger roles really, but uh, it just it just adds more fun to the film. It's not you're not just like one bad guy, one good guy, and then some cannon fodder. You've got a lot of people to kind of uh, keep you interested and keep you laughing or keep you threat feeling threatened or whatever. It's a uh, it's, it's an right. Nice mix. Especially when looking at it, you know, 33 years later, because then we rec actually recognize many of them. Which at the time we wouldn't have recognized. We wouldn't have said, "Hey, there's John Leguizamo." You know, <laughs> no, no one would have said that back then. Uh, yeah, and, and also, I mean, uh, we we just talked about the clips as well, but I think, um, yeah, that, that's obviously foreshadowing what's going to come later. Um, but it's done quite nicely in terms of, I mean, when watching it back again, it, it it's it's not giving it away, but obviously it's it's a big hint, and it's something you might you might not necessarily see. I mean. Um, because they have the little stickers on but at the same time i think it works well in the film in terms of it adds that bit of mystery so you, you, you do notice it when you first watch it you go oh why have you got the why are they putting that certain color on um so it does again it kind of keeps you keeps you hooked keeps you intrigued right. which is a nice little did touch. you did you remember the the, the twist I, no, I didn't remember that. No, no, I didn't. It's as I say it's been ages i said 12 years i'm thinking 20 i don't know it's been a long long, wow. long time Okay. All right. That's fair. So the, the, the script is pretty much the same. I mean, one of the things that they talked about in the script that we discussed on Friday is the fact that it takes Barnes a really long time to, to find a place where he got a signal so that he can call Lorenzo. And then, uh, you know, they give us a shot from inside the church out through the window saying through the rear window here, we see the fence give and bend again, but the sound is muffled by the wind in the glass, meaning that if someone were to be looking out the window from the church, they would see John and Baker fighting. You know, they give us like an external view of the whole thing. Uh, whatever. I'm, I'm, it works well the way they did it in the movie, but it, it's just been really very interesting. And then it says uh, the Emperor police office, uh, police office, Lorenzo writes as Grant reacts. You're where? You crazy idiot. Why didn't you? Barnes down the block, standing on a snow-covered car. Just get here. This is it. Move your fat ass, will you? Grant signals the sergeant, and then it's like D-Day as all the soldiers and some cap cops hustle out. McLean and Baker halfway to their feet, the snow, the snow bloody between them. Baker karate kicks McLean back into a tree, dazing him. Baker jumps in, rips McLean's coat open, and grabs for the holster. As his hand comes up empty, McLean grins, headbutts him. Airport police cars and the army truck skid around a corner. Soldiers on the benches, Grant standing, rocking like a commuter. Telford, only one who's unarmed, still monitoring the radio. Gentlemen, we have a situation here. Click, click, snap. Ammo clips are broken out. All piggybacked like combat-hardened troops do it. Two banana clips taped together with blue tape. Okay, piggybacked meaning you have two, two clips uh, taped together. So that it's easier yeah, to switch them around. Switch. Exactly. All right. So every Monday we have a segment called McLean Monday, where my guests will give their top five Bruce Willis performances. So what have you got for us, David? Start with your number five and work your way up. Okay. So my number five, um, I've gone for one. It's another one that I've not seen for a while. And most of my picks, I've picked more for for kind of films that I love, maybe maybe more than Bruce Willis' performances. Although this one I've tried to put in there, although I do enjoy this film quite a lot, uh, but again, it's been a while. But I've gone for Death Becomes Her, 
I think mainly because I do remember Bruce playing quite a different character than he normally does and and kind of pulling it off. And it's a film I have fond memories of. I, I used to enjoy it a lot. But as I say, it's been a while since I've seen it. But uh, I thought it was a lot of fun uh, back when, when I did. Yeah, I, I recently rewatched it. I don't um, think it holds up as well, but the, the special effects are okay. amazing in the movie. Yeah, that's it. I can remember, especially as, as a teenager, when when I saw those first time at the cinema, yeah. it was just blew me away. So yeah, uh, then number four, I'm going to go with Looper, uh, which is a film I like uh, a great deal. I think it's got a, cl- a clever concept, and you get to see um, the two versions. That you get there's Bruce Willis, and then there's uh, um, oh my brain, Joseph Gordon Levitt's name. Joseph Gordon Levitt, that's it. Yeah, playing a young Bruce Willis with kind of weird makeup to make him look a bit like him, which is a bit weird. Um, but it's it's a great film. I I like that a lot. So uh, I, I had to make make the uh, list. Um, then at number three, I have t- Twelve Monkeys. Uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for kind of time travel movies. I guess that's why I like Looper as well. But um, yeah, I, I I think I think I can remember at the time uh, Brad Pitt got a lot of um, acclaim for his role. I think he got an Oscar nomination, didn't he, as well? Uh, but I watched it again uh, a few years, a couple of years ago, and um, and I actually found uh, Brad Pitt to be a little on the kind of over the top side. But I think Bruce Willis is underrated in that film. Like he's he's, he's he plays it down a bit, but um, but he he does a good job, and it's it's a great film. I just I enjoy it a lot, so that's why I put that in there. Uh, number two, I've got Pulp Fiction. Um, just it's a great film, and. Uh, yeah, Bruce Willis has uh, has fun with it in his role there. Obviously, the film jumps around between stories, so he's not like front and center the whole time. But uh, his scenes are very memorable, and uh, I think he does a great job. And then finally, number one's Die Hard. I just I love Die Hard. It had to be in there, <laughs> an obvious choice. But uh, yeah, and it's just an iconic role for him, uh, really. I think it's it is it is what made Bruce Willis kind of it, it wasn't the first thing he was in, but it was the uh, first kind of international success he had in, in film right and uh and it's it, and it and it did that for a reason he, he's he's perfect in it and it's an amazing yes. film i agree with you on that one which is why i covered that two seasons ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right great so you want to tell people uh how they can get in touch with uh, david brooks yeah if you head over to blueprintreview.co.uk um, you'll find all my movie reviews and and such. And uh, and if you look up Blueprint Review on Facebook and Twitter and things like that, you'll uh, you'll find me there too. All right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, or you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee yippee If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, 